0: Zechariah, chapter eleven. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of ba- Bashan, for the tax, for the thick forest has been falled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for the glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them to go unpunished, and those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherd have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hands of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will devour none for their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep treader. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, and the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. And one month I destroyed their, uh, three shepherds. But I became impatient in, with them. And they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to do, be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep treader who were watching with me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as for me my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly pieces at which I was priced by them, so I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them to the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke the second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, "Take one more equip- equipment of the foolish shepherd, for behold, I am rising up the land, a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, and the nourish the healthy." But devour the flesh of the fat, ones tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd, the deserters of the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let the arm be wholly withered, the right eye utterly blinded. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. And we just pray that you would do that surgical work on us this morning by your word. Lord, we uh, know that your word is powerful, all-powerful. And Lord, I pray that it would accomplish the purpose in which you intend. And Lord, that you would pierce to our souls, and, Lord, you would bring repentance in our hearts. Lord, you would give us uh, trust for you. And, uh, Lord, you conform us into your image, Heavenly Father. Lord, remind us of your, your truth. or remind us of your love. Remind us of your comforting presence. And, Lord, remind us that you are the shepherd, the one who truly will never leave us. And uh, we pray that even during this time, Lord, that you would do the supernatural work that we can't to save those who don't know you. If there's anyone in this room or who later on may hear this recording, God, that you would do the work of saving because you alone can raise the dead spiritually. You can raise the dead physically, Lord. I even think about Annika's testimony of uh, healing physically, Lord, and I pray there's anyone here who needs healing physically, are in their mind or wrestling with sin, Lord, that you would bring deliverance because you alone can do that. And so, Lord, would you show us your way today? Lord, would you speak through me powerfully? And God, would you help us to gladly receive your word and be changed by it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin, I want to ask a question, what makes a good leader? Uh, Is it charisma? Is it the ability to get stuff done, you know, just to tick the boxes? Uh, Is it the ability to gather a following? Like if if someone's following you or a group of people is following you, that makes you a good leader. Uh, Is it the ability to be an influencer? Maybe on social media, you can think about that kind of idea. So what makes a good leader a good leader? Um, I'm glad that Those are not the main criteria for being a good leader. Otherwise, we might be tempted to think Adolf Hitler uh, was a good leader, right? The dictator of Germany between 1934 and 1945. Um, He wasn't a good leader. He was one of the worst, right, in history. He used his position and his authority to poison the mind of an entire nation. Uh, He convinced his followers that right was wrong and wrong was right. Uh, He talked everyday people Business owners, shop owners, military people into committing atrocities against the human race that still have trickled down to our day. He used the Bible to teach unbiblical views like that only certain people were created in God's image, um, which gave him the foothold he needed to systematically murder six million Jews along with many other ethnicities and even those with disabilities. If you remember history, he used the concentration camps, gas chambers, death by mass shootings to annihilate an uh, entire people group. And this leader's self-focus led him to behavior that would initiate World War II, where 50 million people worldwide would die. Not to mention that he caused the collapse of his own country, leaving it with historical guilt and traumas that continue this day. Then on the flip side, there's leaders like Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States from 1861 until 1865. A very imperfect man, but most would say a very good leader. Why? Was it just because he could get others to get behind him and follow him? Was it just because he had an amazing beard? No. Honest Abe was known to have good character. He was known by his followers to be empathetic. He was known to be humble and admit when he was wrong, as he did on record to Ulysses S. Grant in a well-known letter. He said, I, I, I messed up. I made a mistake. He wanted unity among the nation he led, but he wasn't willing to sacrifice for that unity by being indifferent to the pervasive evils of his day, namely, what? Slavery. His presidency is said to have resulted in the preservation of the union that was torn by civil war at that time, a strengthened federal government and a boosted U.S. economy. And yet, this key factor that ties into our text this morning, and yet many, 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 many in that day across the U.S. despised him, despised him, hated him. They didn't value his values. And ultimately, they rejected his leadership. Just like we'll see of Zechariah in a minute. Just like ultimately we'll see in the foreshadowing of Jesus as he came to his people, his own who he created. But they would not receive him. They rejected him, his good leadership. One such person who rejected Abraham was John Wilkes Booth. Lincoln was giving a speech shortly after the war ended in which he was arguing for black men and veterans to have the right to vote. Booth was said to be enraged in that moment in the audience as he listened, as Lincoln communicated black citizenship and the right for that. And this is what Booth said in that that announcement or in that, um, that time. He said, this is the last speech he will ever make and then shot him three days later. So good leaders bad leaders. That's the focus of Zechariah 11. That actually has been a reoccurring theme throughout the book. If you've been following along with us as we've been preaching through this series earlier on in the book, in chapter 4 and 5, God highlighted his plan in the post-exilic community where Zechariah was a prophet, and his plan included forgiven and empowered leaders to lead the post-exilic community, Right? Leaders like Joshua, who was an imperfect leader, but he became forgiven, and it was shown symbolically as he put on pure vestments, right? Leaders like Zerubbabel, who was not a perfect governor, but God said, hey, I'm not going to lead the people through your strength. It's not by your power, your might, but it's by my spirit declares the Lord. So those renewed leaders are central in those visions, those eight visions that we talked about. Then we see the idea of leadership again in chapter 9 as we work our way to today's passage. Eric covered it last week. Chapter 9 and 10 did a great job. In the far future, God will judge his enemies and send his unexpected king. Why do I say unexpected king as we look towards Jesus in uh, Zechariah 9? Because Jesus will come humble and mounted on, on a donkey, bringing peace and having salvation in his hands. Then there's chapter 10, moral leaders. God is fed up in that text with worthless leaders in the post-exilic community who are pointing people away to to false gods and empty hopes. And what's God's game plan there? He's going to personally rescue his flock. (laughs) He's going to personally... Rescue his flock from those bad leaders' hands. And in chapter 10, verse 3 through 6, he does this, the text says, because he has compassion. He makes his weak, sheep like people into majestic war horses. In that text, do you like that? <laughs> providing them with all they need to win the battle, including in that text, every good ruler. And the text says this, from him, that is from God, comes the cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler and God's people, even weak as they are, weak and sheep-like as they are, they will be victorious, the text says, because the Lord is with them. And then there's our text this morning. Chapter 11, moral leaders. Why do you think God's concerned so much about leaders? You guys ever thought about that? Especially in Zechariah, why the repeat over and over again? You guys tell me why. Why is he caring so much? Because it impacts those under the leadership, right? It has an impact on everybody. So as in the previous chapters, when God speaks about spiritual leaders, a lot of times he's referring to people like the kings of that day, the priests in Israel, the prophets in Israel. Even he could be referring to those lesser leaders uh, who are in power. um, And he refers to them as this, shepherds, the word shepherds. And you need to get that image of shepherding in your brain this morning because the word shepherd or it's plural, shepherds is used how many times in chapter 11? Nine times. So we'd say that's definitely a main theme. And as we begin this morning, Chapter 11 opens up with another chiasm. You guys done with chiasms yet? You guys still remember? We still got some chiasm happy people in here. All right, so remember, chiasm is a literary technique often used in Hebrew literature. Think of a greater than, less than sign. Think of a V turned over on its side, the alligator eating the apple, right? And what happens if you want to throw that chiasm, that mini chiasm uh, up on the screen, we've got another one. And what happens is if you work your way through the chiasm, the first section of the text matches what? The bottom section of the text, and as you work your way through chapter 11, the next part, it's labeled two right there, matches the other two at the end of the text, and then you get to the central point in the chiasm, or the middle of the chiasm, and that is the main point. So this is what today's chiasm looks like, and these are kind of the concepts that we'll, we'll be going through. Warned God's coming judgment on bad shepherds, warped the way of bad shepherds, three, rejected the mistreatment of the good shepherd, and then the chiasm works its way back out. So here's the deal. As we walk through this text, God gives a warning to bad shepherds, and then he gives a description of what bad shepherds do or what they're like, and by contrast, He shows us how to identify good shepherds or good leaders. Then in a very interesting acted out parable, you could call it, or a moment of biblical theater, right in the center of this text, God asked Zechariah, the prophet, to act out an interaction with the people of Israel, symbolically showing the people of Israel the problems coming to them if they reject God's good leadership through his chosen leaders. And out the gate, I want you to know that this text will have a lot of implications and applications related to pastor, elder, shepherds, that role that we see revealed in the New Testament, okay? Um, but at the same time, like I said at the beginning, this enacted parable in the middle of Zechariah 11 will serve as a foreshadowing of Jesus, the ultimate good shepherd who came. To lead and save his people. So the title of my sermon is The Tale of Two Shepherds, The Tale of Two Shepherds. All right, first point, warned, warned. God's coming judgment on bad shepherds, okay? And there's a part of it where you see it in verse 1 through 3, and there's a part at the very end of chapter 11 that you'll see it again in verse 17. So opening up with chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. The section opens up with Zechariah reminding the people that bad shepherds will be judged, okay? The shepherds are described through three horticultural metaphors. And if you don't know what horticultural means, it's a plant image or a plant metaphor. And this is great because in that region, in the Transjordan region, all these different places are, are located somewhere around Jerusalem, somewhere nearby. And so the people would know what's going on with this. The shepherds are said to be massive cedars of Lebanon, verse one. The shepherds are said to also be mighty oaks from Bashan, verse two. The shepherds are said, these leaders are said to be lush thickets of the Jordan. And it'd be like calling these leaders in our day, you're the Grand Canyon of Arizona, or you're the Northern Lights of Alaska, or you're the Disney World of Florida or the governmental buildings of DC, or the Hollywood of California. So the idea is you have a lot of glory currently, currently. They are well-known, these leaders, even though they're bad. They're powerful, they're wealthy, they have control in specific areas over specific people. They have status that many are eager to have. But in this case, they're wicked. And many of these leaders think they're gonna get away with it, with the mistreatment of God's people in that day. But this text, God says, no way, ain't happening. The shepherds will be, look at verses one through three, these shepherds will eventually be devoured by fire. I mean, think about that imagery as we thought about the fires that swept through North Carolina near the, the apple orchards. And think about how devastating a fire can be. He says, these shepherds will eventually Be devoured by fire. They will be chopped down and laid low by the axe. They will be made worthless and uninhabitable by fierce lions moving into the area. Nobody's going to go visit that thick, lush thicket if a lion's now in that area roaring and scaring everybody away. And the idea here is that those bad shepherds who are leading Israel, their glory, though real, will one day be ruined. Verse three, it will be taken from them. But this is the thing, it will be taken from them by God himself. And his sovereign power and his timing and those bad shepherds and wayward shepherds who think they're actually secure, they're not. So he says, therefore, be warned, bad shepherds. Wail, that is, mourn. I want you to be crying right now. I want you to really repent right now because you act like you're untouchable, but a day of reckoning will come. And that day will come in the church, but it will also come across our nation. It will come around the world. It will come in every home. And similarly, at the end of this chiasm, the matching pair at the end of this chiasm this morning Chapter eleven through seventeen, God says something similar, with a slight twist. It's not just that He's going to take bad shepherds' glory away, but actually, He's going to also personally come to rescue His people from their hand. God says it poetically at the end of chapter eleven. He says, "May the sword strike His arm in His right eye." I mean, this is how we're ending the text this morning. You're like, "That is severe. That is heavy. What's going on?" Well. God's using poetic imagery here. Let his arm be wholly withered. Whose arm? The bad shepherd's arm, right? His right eye be utterly blind. The idea is let the eye that the bad shepherd used and the hand that the bad shepherd used to harm and control God's people and to eat them up, let it never be able to use a fork again because God will rescue his people. And there's just this hopeful reminder at the end of chapter 11, that God is just and is judge, and he will do what he will do to save his people. Second point, warped. And again, we're working down into the chiasm, okay? Warped, the way of the bad shepherd. So, God's name and people are being mistreated by so-called shepherds, and what's the result in chapter 11, 4 through 6? God wants to provide a good shepherd. And just pause for a minute. And just think about that for a minute. God's heart is being revealed in verse four, okay? When he says to Zechariah, Become shepherd of the flock doomed for slaughter, okay? God could have left us in our, our discomfort, in our pain, in our wondering, in our rebellion, but we see God's heart on display in his selection of Zechariah. For this role, and we see his uh, treatment of the post-exilic community here from this text. He wants to provide them good and godly shepherding. Someone like Zechariah, his prophet, who would speak his word without altering his message. I mean, remember in chapter one of Zechariah a long, long time ago, God said through Zechariah to the people, "Repent." I mean, like, how is that for not altering a message? You've got sin. You've been rebellious. This is the true God. You're following other idols. Look to God. So repent. And God extends the shepherding job offer to Zechariah because his sheep were doomed to slaughter if someone would not step in. And the text says about these warped leaders before that the bad shepherds were bad because they were self-centered verse five, they were selling the sheep to the highest bidder. They were fine with leading God's people as long as it would lead to their own profit. And anyone can do this, right? It's very, very easy. Becoming focused, even as I think about being a pastor, becoming focused on what you can get from the sheep instead of what you can sacrificially give to the sheep. And that rolls into any authority structure. Think about a parent. It's so easy to be like, Hey, back then I had nine kids when I was growing up on the farm. Why did I have nine kids? Do I really like kids? No, I just had more workers for the farm, which means more. I mean, it can happen anywhere. A government official can be like, hey, more people to get what I want. Instead of the reverse of what God says about godly authority and leadership, more people for us to serve sacrificially. So the mindset could be in church or government or wherever, more sheep is, equals more pay for my salary. More people stroking my ego when I preach. More people in the pew to feed my idolatry of success through numbers. More workers so I can get my mission accomplished, right? Or more people to hear my opinions espoused and shared versus what God has actually said. There's a lot of dangers in leading people, right? And like the ones that are sold here, Everyone in leadership in Israel sounds really spiritual about their selfishness. Verse 5, look at it in chapter 11. They say, this is what the bad leaders say, who are just selling the sheep for profit. Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. Rich off who? Who? The sheep, right? They hide their sin by spiritual, uh, spiritual jargon that is actually a smokescreen for their idolatry. Right? They don't love God really. They don't truly love his people. And these bad shepherds do this because the end of verse 5 says they have no pity for God's flock. It'd be like a mother looking down at her crying baby that she just delivered, and then turning her over to a complete stranger to sell that baby for drugs. Right? Selling that baby into a life of trafficking. That's kind of like what's happening. Their own shepherds, verse five, the very ones that should care the most about leading them. Don't, don't love them. And we see the same thing in verse 15 and 16 as Zechariah plays the part and dresses up as the foolish shepherd who may be an actual person in the future or it may be just a general reference to all those who would function as bad shepherds throughout Israel's history that leads us even into the New Testament as those religious leaders were poorly leading the people of Israel at the time. See, the bad shepherd is not only self-focused, and uncompassionate, he is fine with not carrying out the actual duties of the shepherd. You know what part of the actual duties is? He doesn't pursue those in need. He kind of walks through it in the text in verse 15 and 16, I believe. He doesn't go after the spiritually young and immature, even though they often have questions, they face strong temptations, they're prone to distraction. He doesn't seek the counsel, the spiritual sick and injured with God's word, so they can grow and be healthy. The the bad shepherd doesn't nourish the spiritually healthy so they can remain spiritually healthy and help others. I I thought that was funny. I'm like, why is the bad shepherd not nourishing the the spiritually healthy? And I was like, oh yeah, well, they need to remain spiritually healthy, right? If you don't keep on nourishing the spiritual healthy, they get spiritually sick. And they don't care about the flock's sinfulness and need for truth and and a need for a savior and a need for God's help. They don't care about the flock's weakness and a need for support and a need to be pursued. They don't care about God's glory and his heart for his people. This is the warped way of the bad shepherds in the Bible. Third point, the center of the chiasm rejected the mistreatment of the good shepherd. And this is the predominant part of the text, verses 7 through 14. So don't forget, this next part is actually kind of an acted out parable performed by Zechariah, And there's a lot of symbolism here. So I'm gonna get a, a, a few help, a few people to help me this morning. All right, kids? Charlie, you wanna come up here? Charlie's gonna be Zachariah. And this is kind of improv, like I don't know how it's gonna turn out, okay? So um, you can come up here. Also, I need three bad shepherds. Penny, you're going to help me out? Is Titus in the room? Titus is going to be a bad shepherd? Okay. All right. You're going to be a bad shepherd? Are you come over, Jane? All right. So you stand off to the side, just the three of you guys. Y'all are going to be the bad shepherd. Zach- Zachariah, can you go grab your white uh, shepherd garb right there and your staff, please? All right. I need like four or five sheep, okay? You're just going to get on the ground and crawl around. That's what you're going to do, okay? So can I get like four or five sheep, you know? It doesn't matter. Even if you're a bad actor, you can do it. Okay, come on. That sounds good. Yep. All right. If you want to come out, you can crawl on the floor right here. All right. So, yeah, that's fine right here. You can crawl over here. I know people can't see you really well, but um, here here goes nothing. All right, let's put this around your head. Okay, this is how it's going to work. I'm just going to work through 7 through 14. These are the sheep, okay? And here's how how it breaks down, and Charlie's going to act it out for me and here it goes. So verse four, God says to Zechariah, and I'm going to speak to Zachariah, and I'm going to say, become my shepherd for those that are doomed for the slaughter, okay? And verse seven says, he became that shepherd. So Charlie's going to put this little garb on, and he is that shepherd, okay? All right, and this is what it says in the, in the text. He had two staffs, but we only got one, and he had two staffs, and one was named what? You tell me, Favor and the other one was named what? Union. Union. And then what did that good shepherd do? Very next portion, the very next phrase, he tends his sheep. Right. So you go over there and tend your sheep. You're a great shepherd, buddy. You get in there, you tend them, you love on them, you care for them. You're very. Yeah. They. They. They're not having it, and that's exactly what the text says, right? Charlie's loving them well, being a kind, tender shepherd, and it says in the very next verse that he became impatient, and they hated him. They're like, we don't want this leadership. Y'all stand up. And y'all say, uh-uh, nuh-uh, no. nuh-uh, we ain't having it. And they say, bye, and you turn around and walk off. All right, y'all can go sit over there. That's what happens. So this is what the, the shepherd says. This is what you say, Charlie. You say, well, you can have it your way, right? You can take the consequences of not having my leadership. And I'm, I'm tired of this, so I'm breaking my staff. So don't really break it. I need that for later. Just bam and throw it on the ground. I'm, I'm done with this. I quit. Say, I quit. Okay. Oh, I forgot about these guys. But before you quit, see, before you quit, you gotta, you just like give them a little bit of like, I'm destroying these three shepherds. Bam! Get them out of the way. <laughs> Boom! Okay. Okay, this is a little out of the order, but it's happening there. These guys are great actors on the fly, okay? So he quit, but he says, hey, before I leave my job, I'm, I'm quitting this job, but before I leave, if you want to pay me for this, go ahead and pay me. And I need one of those sheep to come back up who was originally in the group, who hated their, sh- their good shepherd, and say, Here, you can have this bag of money. Say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Okay, all right. And you say, pieces silver, say 30 pieces of silver, that's nothing. And God says to Zechariah, Hey, Zachariah, take that money and throw it into the temple. Was that a real dollar? Yeah, I mean, no. Okay. Take that money, Zechariah, and throw it into the temple. All right. Hey, did he do a great job? Way to go. The very last part is that Zachariah, uh, God comes to Zechariah and says, all right, you're quitting. You threw that money in the temple, and I want you to keep on acting because now I want you to play the part of the bad shepherd. And he ends this acted parable that he's, he's acting out symbolically. in the very last part of the text in chapter 11, he says, now I'm gonna judge the bad shepherd, okay? And that's how it ends. That's really sad. I'm not gonna judge you, go ahead. All right, great job, great job. All right, so we walked through it. That's the concept, that's the idea. And I'm just gonna run through the text really quick and kind of piece some things together for us. So like I said, Zachariah has the job offer from God. Charlie does, I mean, and that happens in verse four. And then Zachariah takes two staffs in verse seven, one favor and one named union, And he tends his sheep, God's people, Israel, very, very well in that moment. He's giving the people kind treatment that they don't deserve. He's pointing them to God's truth and creating unity among the flock. Isn't that amazing how as we rally around God's truth and his word, it brings unity. It actually brings spiritual thriving to God's people. This is the opposite of the bad shepherd. And at this point, many commentators say maybe Zechariah could be symbolically representing good leadership in the post-exilic community like Zerubbabel or Joshua, and uh, he's providing spiritual leadership there where the people need it. And it really points forward to the New Testament in many ways, that kind of good leadership that we see like in 1 Peter chapter 5 that pastors' elders gives. It says, they shepherd the flock of God that is among them, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have them, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in their charge, but being examples of the flock. And Zechariah is reflecting, even in that moment, characteristics like Paul had in Acts 20 that says that he did not shrink back from declaring to them anything that was profitable, preaching them consistently the need for repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, declaring the whole counsel of God. So you've got Zachariah here, not just being on the offensive, feeding and pursuing the sheep, but the good shepherd also is on the defensive, protecting the flock from enemies, which can come in the form of false teachers and those who would actually use the flock for selfish gain. You can think of individuals that would rise up in a church. You can think about specific unfaithful ministries on YouTube right? And then three in the text in verse eight, it says, Zachariah then destroys or other translations say overthrow or dispose of the three bad shepherds in one month. So most commentators think one month is symbolic for a short period of time. And that the three shepherds symbolically is communicating Zachariah's ability to completely get rid of the unfit shepherds in his day. So here's the point. In pastoring and eldering terms like we see in the New Testament, Zechariah was doing what Paul called the Ephesians elders to do. That is this, watch out for fierce wolves who will come among God's people, who will not spare the flock. That may be men from your own who will arise and speak twisted things and draw away the disciples after them. Think, it's like the idea of 1 Timothy 1. God's good shepherd should protect the flock from those who teach a different doctrine and a different gospel other than the apostles. Those whose lives and conduct have not been transformed by the gospel or God's spirit. So all of that sounds really good. You're like, oh, we got a leader through Zechariah in that day who is on the offensive for God's people and on the defensive for God's people. That's great, right? Well, he begins to get rejected by God's people if you look at the text, and he becomes like a Moses figure. He gets weary of leading, and he gets weary of giving his all to serve the people, right? And here's the thing. He's given them such good treatment in this text, but the flock hates him. They look at his imperfect leadership, but it's really actually good godly leadership, and they say, no thanks. You remember when these little sheep just crossed their arms and they, they left? In verse 9, Zechariah resigns from his job and says this, I will not be your shepherd anymore. He says, I'm going to let, in that symbolic motion or action, he says, I'm going to let you shepherd yourself and let you face the natural consequences for turning away from God's leaders. That's pain, destruction, death that comes from rejecting it. And Zechariah symbolizes that by breaking his staff. You remember this? Breaking the first staff. It's called favor, verse 20. And that was symbolic most likely that God would no longer give Israel the type of protection and favor among the nations that actually was the reason they were led out of exile the first time and back safely in Jerusalem through Cyrus's decree, right? And he's saying the covenant is annulled or revoked. And then verse 14 at the end, he breaks the other staff named unity. And most likely that is symbolic of the fact that when Israel was unrepentant, that God would actually allow that sinfulness in the congregation to bring about division among the brothers, right? So it's, it's very interesting, but here's the two main things. In the midst of all of it, God is giving mercy to those that, that are undeserved of it, right? Verse 12, even those who reject him, God is continually pursuing. So they reject the good shepherd and he goes out to collect his pay from all of his full-time faithful service. You remember the the money right there? And he's not like the foolish shepherds and prophets who are in it solely for the money and the expense of the sheep, at the expense of the sheep. So he basically says, Zechariah says, what do you think my good shepherding is worth? What would you pay me for all this good shepherding that I gave you? What's my final paycheck gonna be? And they basically said, here's a couple of dollars, don't spend it all in one place. It's 30 pieces of silver, which is actually a pitifully low amount. And Zacharias says in that moment, we believe sarcastically, he says, this is a lordly or a magnificent price because it's so low. And this is what we're supposed to see in the text. That low pay reflects the low priority that the people of God have for the spiritual care of their souls. That is very, very convicting, right? It's the low priority they put on the spiritual care of their souls. And interestingly enough, you guys probably realize this, but the 30 pieces of silver is also the exact amount that what? Judas Judas was paid to to betray Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 26, 15. So Zechariah takes this bad severance package, and God tells him to throw it into the temple He says to the potter, if you remember, Judas's money is actually turned around and used to buy the potter's field. And so the question is, what is the potter? Um, The potter was a person who created pots in the temple. And basically they held money in those pots like as a treasury in the temple. So to toss that money back to the potter was basically God's way of saying there's some rejection on the temple and all the earthly leadership behind the temple that apparently has had a hand in producing all these bad shepherds. God's saying, I'm rejecting all of it. I'm, re- I'm rejecting that. And as the text ends again in chapter 11, God asks Zachariah to dress up like a bad shepherd. God reminds then what the bad shepherd does. And then in verse 17, God tells everyone that what he will do to the bad shepherd in judgment in order to set his people free from oppression. That's all very discouraging. But the final words of chapter 11, technically are very encouraging. The message is, earthly shepherds will fail you. And then God's basically saying at the end, but I won't. That's the message. Earthly shepherds will fail you, but I won't. God's heart for his people is revealed, and what the rest of the book of Zechariah shows at deep lengths is what God did to uh, produce this reality in himself. As you end the book of Zechariah chapter 12 and 13, another shepherd arises, a future shepherd arises, and who is that shepherd? Jesus, the messianic shepherd king who the father will put before his people to be struck, but here's the thing, in piercing that shepherd and rejecting that shepherd, actually it opens up a fountain of salvation for God's people, a fountain of forgiveness. You'll read that in chapter 12 and 13. So the one who made the world, Jesus would come to his own people, as I alluded to at the beginning of the sermon, and they would not receive him but then John, in John's gospel, goes on to say, but as many who did receive him, Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. So Jesus will end up doing what no other earthly leader would do. Jesus end up doing what no other earthly pastor or shepherd would do. He becomes the gracious fountain of salvation, the source of our forgiveness and our eternal life. Points us to texts like John 10, 10 through 15. remember that text, Jesus speaking, he says, the thief comes only to kill, still kill and destroy. And what does Jesus say? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I am not a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, Jesus does what no other leader, no other pastor can do. If you remember Zachariah, like Moses and like so many of us, he's like, these people hate me. They're making my, my shepherding miserable. And he's like, I'm out of here. I quit. I resign. But think about Jesus. He never buckles under the pressure of shepherding and leading like Zachariah does. That's why he's our source of salvation, our source of strength. He never becomes weary and gives up on his people who mistreat him. You, you mistreat Jesus a thousand times. A thousand times you repent and come back. A thousand times he receives you. It's amazing. He does not do what a good shepherd Zachariah does and walks out the door. And even when we undervalue his worth, his beauty, his glory as God in the the true good shepherd, he doesn't leave his people. It's amazing. He comes to us like he did in Mark 6, and he says, I have compassion on them because they're like people who are messed up without a shepherd. And even to the cross, all of his people are abandoning him at the cross as, he re, as he's receiving the wrath of God for them on the cross and as they abandon him he says from the cross father forgive them for they know not what they do and like john john 13:3 says this great shepherd loves his people to the end right that is the end of life That is the end of eternity. He dies and raises again for our justification. And even though we abandon him at times, he never abandons us. Romans 8 is really cool because the phrase says that God's people were like sheep doomed to slaughter. And you hear that kind of phrase echo in Romans 8, right? We are sheep doomed to slaughter. By life and trial and persecution for our love for Jesus and our life for Jesus. But the text says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus. According to Psalm 23 that that Eric read at the beginning, he would lead us, Jesus will lead us like the good shepherd in Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy will follow his people all the days of his life and we will dwell in his house forever. But it doesn't stop there. We could stop there, and that's amazing, and we should celebrate all that. But God does this amazing thing. He restores broken and failed people, and he empowers them by his love and forgiveness to lead others. Isn't that phenomenal? Any of you guys ever had good leaders in your life, or a good mom or dad, or or a good pastor, shepherd in your lifetime? That's a gift from Almighty God. That's a part of his good design. He would equip, gift, send out shepherds in his likeness, empowered by his spirit. He told Peter who fell, like I feel like I fall so many times and I'm so weak and I mess up as a shepherd. And then he takes him, restores him after his resurrection. And then what does he say to Peter? Hey, feed my sheep. And God has done this for countless centuries since he raised from the dead. He's doing it even today all around the world. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But it doesn't even stop there. God would create a people by His Spirit who would actually see the worth and value of good godly leadership, or in the church to see the worth and value of good under-shepherds or pastors, although they're imperfect. He's enabling a people in local churches and all around the world as we gather to say, hey, look, this is God's gift. These leaders, imperfect as they are, broken as they are, this is God's good gift to me, and I want to receive that. Hebrews 13, 7, I heard it this past week in a podcast. It it really encouraged me. It says this, God's speaking through the author of Hebrews. He says, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of of their way of life. Imitate their faith. So in that moment, he's saying, there are good shepherds out there. I've redeemed them. I've created them. I've put them in your life to help you imitate their faith where they're following me faithfully. And then the very next verse, you'll never guess what it is. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you read it, it seems so disjuncted, if that's a word. It seems so uh, out of order. And the question is, why would God say, remember those leaders? earthly and fallen as they are, imitate their faith. I put them in in your life for a reason. In the very next verse, he says, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You tell me why would he put that together? Because earthly leaders will fail you. Shepherds will drop the ball. They will forget to pray for you. They will lose sight of what matters many times. But Jesus, his character, his faithful shepherding will always remain for the people of God till the end. Like he's always going to be there. He will never fail. He will never break or bend. He will always speak the truth. He will always carry you. He will always pursue you. He's the ultimate shepherd and overseer of your soul. So we celebrate Jesus. So a few application and then we'll we'll sing. This text, you can't help but say, bad shepherds be warned, right? Whether you're a bad politician, bad boss, parent or church leader, God doesn't want his creation, I mean like all the people he's made, but also his specific people, his church, his bride, he does not want them to be taken advantage of and selfishly led in any way. He's so serious, you see in chapter 11 in Zechariah, that he's gonna do something about it. Either he is going to bring the judgment of hell on these bad leaders for all of the eternity, or these bad leaders will repent and trust in God's saving work and love, and Jesus will carry all of their sin and judgment upon Himself at the cross. So the message is don't reject God's perfect Messiah, Savior, Shepherd. The consequences are severe if you do. He comes in His love and His grace to save you. Receive Him. Second application. If you're a Christian in leadership this morning, like myself, as a pastor, you may read this text and and felt very inadequate. (laughs) And you see all the things that, that we are supposed to do and you feel very inadequate. And if that's you, I want to remind you of a couple things. We are called to lead well, to not be in it for ourselves. We are called to speak the truth even when it's hard and when we don't do those things, God gives us the grace of repentance. God can bring a reset. He can bring a strengthening. He can use us in the midst of our failures. But God wants to give us endurance to shepherd and to lead like himself. Because here's the thing. He loves the people more than we do. And he's bought us, like Acts 20 says, with his blood. That's nothing any leader could do. No leader could save you. So if you're in that leadership capacity, let's ask this morning, even if you're a parent, right, or you're, you're a, uh, a leader in the church, let's ask God, how can we more faithfully display his truth as we lead others? How can we be more godly in his character? How can we be more sacrificial in serving others? And I just want to tell you, I could go all day and, and label and, and point out and identify leaders in our congregation, But I think about people, really, and I know they wouldn't want to be put on the spot, but I think about people like Eric, one of your shepherds here, son, and he is super sacrificial. He emulates what I see in the New Testament and in Zechariah 11 about giving his life for the sheep, not for pay. He could do it for pay and it wouldn't be any problem. The Bible commends that, but he does it out of love for the Lord. He does it because he wants to glorify and honor honor Jesus. He loves you guys. I see that in Justin. I know Justin is not a, a, an elder at this church, but Justin Jeans, God uses him so much just to lead and care for this congregation through music and so many other facets through men's ministry. And again, same thing. The Spirit of God's at work in his life to make him sacrificial to give his life for others. So I commend these men to you. Third, in application, if you're a Christian and you're a member of a church you have pastors, you have leaders. So here's the question. Does any of your leadership feel rejected by you? They're pouring out their hearts, but you remain distant. You're like, hey, I just detest you. I hate you for being so good to me, (laughs) you know, right? The question is, how could you, based on this text, show godly leadership that you value their work, you know? Don't hand them the bag of 30 pieces of silver, (laughs) you know, you don't want to do that, right? And I just thought of a few things that are super simple, but like people along the way, and you don't need to do this out of a sense of obligation, but people coming up to someone after they're preached, Eric's given me a lot of help lately about preaching for me as I'm during, in this low time physically and mentally. People come up at the service and say, thank you for, for preparing the word of God for us. That sounds so small, but that says, I value what you do this week, right? Or another example Help them when they're going through a difficult time. I'm in my pod and I'm going through a difficult time. And one of the sheep in, in the pod is like, I'm pray for you this week and texts me during the week and says, hey, what can we do for you? I'm like, he's really showing me that he loves me as a brother, but he's honoring the work that we're, we're doing here. Pastor's appreciation, that was super kind. And y'all always go above and beyond. But these are ways that I see you guys uh, encouraging us to keep on going. Um, so, are you resisting godly leadership? Is where I want to end in your life. Sometimes pastor shepherds bring difficult truths in your life. And instead of receiving that and making it easy for them to lead you and making it a blessing for you, you may have a tendency to reject that leadership. And I'm telling you from this text don't do that. Repent, receive it for what it is. It's a gift. So let's thank God as we conclude for, yes, the positive benefits from every shepherd, every good leader in our life who's striving to live godly and honor him through leadership. But let's also thank God and praise him for being the ultimate great shepherd who laid down his life to save us. Like that's what he did. And who's with us from now into eternity. So let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for... Lord, just the truth of Zechariah 11. Lord, thank you that you're that good shepherd. You're the only truly good shepherd who died for our sins and raised again to save us eternally. And we thank you that you're gonna lead us. We're gonna lead us now and forevermore by your grace and mercy all the way to heaven. Lord, your, your house, Father. And I praise you so much for the good leadership and shepherds in my life along the way, whether it be parents, or it be teachers, or it be bosses, but especially the uh, men who you've given to shepherd and pastor me along the way. I think about Eric, son, and Lord, the fellow elder that you've given me and his heart for you and heart for truth and heart for your people. And Lord, we just pray that you'd raise up more like that in our congregation. And for us, Lord, make a sheep who are willing to receive your word and are willing to repent and are willing to receive the blessings of godly leadership in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help these sheep, your people, to pray for us. Lord, as imperfect as we are, we desperately need you, Jesus. And I pray that you continue to help them to pray for us and pray for other leadership in our church daily, that we might honor and glorify you with our lives and how we lead. We love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.